Mr. Colonel Rad alert. Civil defense information will be broadcast at 640. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Y2K. How can we prepare? Stop a few of their machines and radios. Throw them into darkness for a few hours. We are fighting for our lives. My family must survive. Over five years. Thousand gallons of gas. Air filtration. Water filtration. Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada. Streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Rumble, and Odyssey. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim. Today is December the 8th, 2023. This is episode 407 of Workshop Radio. How are all my fellow delinquents out there this evening? I hope you guys are doing well. I've been busy uh, upgrading the workshop and a few other things. I've uh, just been feel like spinning my wheels in a good way, I think. Been really, really busy. I guess not spinning my wheels, but just getting a lot of shit done. And I hope you're doing the same thing. Yeah, Chris Dixon just said you're frighteningly bright. Yes, I just realized that as I logged in. So if anybody watches the first couple of seconds of this live stream replay, you'll think, man, Either uh, Tim's glowing or something's radioactive under his desk this evening, but I think I got it fixed. So <laughs> anyway, Friday night. So we got to remember our sponsor and it's my good friends, Nate and Aaron from Two Chicks Homestead. Nate stopped, Nate launched Homestead Ham Radio and he is in the business of programming, purchasing, programming, shipping, and teaching you everything there is to know about ham radio. So give them some support. And of course, if you're looking to add a little bit of uh, inspiration, learning, and all that other jazz to your ear holes, add them to your podcast regular rotation. This week's episode, apparently, I have an ungood uh, understanding that they had a run-in with DNR, and they talk all about it in this week's episode, uh, Aaron's first time hunting. So I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm going to make some time this weekend while I'm out pounding away in the workshop. So I hope everyone's doing well. Two weeks ago, we did a This Week in Prepping episode, and it was so well received that I thought, you know what, this might have to be something that I do on a more regular basis because I love it. It's kind of a good old-fashioned variety radio show with a bunch of different topics. Tonight, we're going to, let's just blaze through a few things here today. We're going to do uh, some precious metals, chatting about precious metals. We're going to talk about, uh, we got a section on stranger than fiction, the news stories that may affect us as preppers. We got a segment called This Week in the Workshop. We'll share some of the prepping stuff I've done this week. I read it on the internet where I pick my favorite article or post from our prepping on Reddit this week. I even got an, a recipe for you guys, which is kind of cool. And then we got a little feedback and a little bit of uh, some pretty cool movies and TV shows that came out this week. So we'll try to wrap her up in a, a nice short, brief time like I always do. Never go long. You know how it is. So anyway, we got a bunch out there. I see Sumi out there, Chris Dixon, my uh, my Tennessee neighbor, off-grid ping, Arizona Renaissance man, Chuck, otherwise known as Homestead Medical and Digger. Great to see everybody out there this evening. All right. So first thing, uh, we went, as you know, my schedule was a little messed up last week. And so because we were doing our year-end Christmas shopping trip to the West Edmonton Mall and a bunch of other things. Hey, Byron Roberts, good to see you. I hope you had a good day at work, brother. And of course, I always hit my favorite. When you go to the, when you go up to 
West Edmonton Mall, there's a place called Beck, Beck's Silver and Gold. They've got four or five locations around the city. They have the closest to spot price on silver or gold that I have found anywhere in Canada. So they, it's become my go-to place. And I can't go, you know, there, there's lots of places in the mall, but it's the one place I can't not go to. So I actually dropped off the two different places while I was there. I wanted to show you what I picked up, but I don't know if I can get this to, let's see here. So this one, this was kind of an interesting one, and it's not going to, I don't think I can get it to, here we go. That's probably the closest I'm going to get. It is, take my word for it, it is a two-ounce Canadian made by the Mint of Canada, two-ounce werewolf silver round. I thought that was kind of cool. I always stop, and I like to find something just a little bit different because, you know, as much as I collect it for, you know, wealth assurance and that sort of thing, I also like to enjoy it, like those zombie bucks and things. And I got right excited because I get, so if, if you go to silver and gold shops on a regular basis, a lot of times they'll have email lists and mine does as well. It, it, yeah, see if you can show, there you go. That's the thickness of it. It's same roundness of a, a normal one ounce, but it's twice as thick. It's kind of cool. So anyway, I get added to their email list. And so whenever I'm heading to the city, I'll take a quick look and see if there's anything interesting out there to check out. And they had a zombie buck. So if you haven't seen those before, I've been working on collecting them. I think there's 10 of them. And they're kind of, they look like regular silver rounds, but they're post-apocalyptic or whatever. And so I called them. They said, yep, yeah, we have one. Come on over, pick it up. So I went to downtown Edmonton, went to get it, and they didn't have it. They thought they did. Somebody put it in as a zombie buck. It turned out, uh, again, I don't know if I can show you this very well or not, but it was an alien coin made it's uh, minted for the republic of ghana but it's made from one of those mints like the sunshine mint or something anyway it was a fun pickup turns out they've made a couple of those alien silver rounds but it was a fun little trip i dropped into the one in the mall and they're hit or miss not a lot of people sell there and this is what made me think i should do a little update on precious metals because when i went in they had mentioned that the price of silver and gold at that time was at uh, the highest they'd seen it in quite some time. And it was so bad, not bad, but it become such an issue that they had to stop buying silver from their customers because they had so much in inventory because everybody was selling. I get it. I know it's close to Christmas. You know, my mindset is when I buy precious metals, I want to hold on to them. I want to hold on to them forever. Like It's kind of like Bitcoin, you know. But a lot of people think I'm going to buy it and make money off it. For me, it's just, hey, again, wealth assurance, holding on to it for the long term. But I saw something cool that I wanted to show you guys today. And this came from, uh, I signed up to a couple different um, places for their email list. This is from JM Boolean. And let's see if we can get this to come up here. See if that shows up. Yeah, that's not bad there. That's better. All right. I don't know if anybody has seen this before. So when I was at the Midwest Preparedness Festival, I traded a guy for a bunch of 10th ounce silver rounds. And I love fractional silver. I, it's just fun. The problem is, is that you pay through the roof. And most people know this, but a premium is, you know, how much you're going to pay above spot. And the more, you know, divided your silver or your gold gets, the bigger the premium you're going to pay. And I spotted this today in my inbox and I thought, hey, now this is kind of a cool idea. 
And I figured, well, I'll bet it has quite a premium. And it, there is a bit of one, but it's nowhere near what you normally see for fractional silver. So check this out anyway, guys. Let me show you. This is called the one ounce pop bullion silver round. It's brand new from JM Bullion. Now, this is what's kind of neat. See if I can show you. There you go. All right. It's a one ounce round, same size, same weight as all your other um, non-minted, you know, ones that don't come from a government round, but it has breaks in it. So there's um, four, well, I guess a crisscross in the middle. So you can actually divide it up into quarter ounce sections. So for trading or whatever, you know, it doesn't, wherever you stand on the idea of precious metals, I love the idea of being able to divide it, especially as the as a dollar loses its value and hopefully silver holds its value, the importance of being able to, exactly. So let me show you here. So Byron says that could come, that could be a very handy round shit hits the fan. And that's exactly what I'm saying. So here's the thing. And I wanted to show you the price. So we'll, we'll just pick the top price right there. 2839 is their per piece price. Now check this out. Here is your non-scored or your non-separatable, $27.59, only about an 80 cent premium from a standard round, which isn't bad. Now, check this out. This is where, this is what I've always looked at. These are quarter, quarter ounce silver rounds. So if you were to buy them in a full silver uh, quarter ounce round, you'd be paying $10.69. Multiply that by four, you're looking at about $42. So about... $14, $15 more to buy them in pre-made rounds than to buy these one ounce that are break apart. I think they're kind of cool. I, I've seen I've seen gold this way before. I hadn't seen silver. And that's exactly what I said, Byron. Uh, not a bad price at all, considering they're pre-cut. I'm going to order some and I'll report back to you guys on what they're like. But I um, I can't buy anything from JM Boolean unless it's shipped to my American address because they only ship to American addresses. So, but I'll let you know anyway. I thought this was kind of exciting. I always love finding new products, and the whole you know they give a really good write up here. Basically, um, pop Boolean silver rounds are struck with twice the pressure with counteracting obverse and reverse break lines. <laughs> anyway, base and they keep saying. Um, the metal weight and purity are displayed four times on the reverse, once on each quarter of the overall round. Let me show you here, guys. So the other thing, here's the back side of it, right there. So it also, each piece that you were to break off to give to somebody would still have its weight and purity on the back of it. And uh, Arizona Renaissance man said, I got a few of those stronger than they look. I couldn't break by hand, but I'm thinking I could break with a chisel or maybe pliers. Well, and that's, so that's what I was kind of wondering about. And it says where, okay, let me see if we can find it here. It says they're struck with twice the pressure. While gold is denser than silver, both metals measure roughly the same on the scale of hardness. Thus, force will be needed to pop your round into smaller pieces. I like the idea that you wouldn't just be carrying them around in your pocket and they're going to break up into a bunch of pieces. It would take a little bit of work. But it's a perfect score line so that you know, hey, it's even dividing there's none of this. Let's scrape a little gold off or a little silver off to trade for a loaf of bread or something. So I, I thought it was kind of cool. So let's move on to Stranger Than Fiction, which so, so it's kind of cool. What I like about this whole concept of this week in prepping has been 
that I'm able to bring together a whole bunch of these segments that I've been doing over the years and turn them into one variety show. And I kind of like it. Off-Grid Ping says, I have some Southern Boolean that are scored but not split. Are those already split? Well, they're, they're, they come in a single round. So this is what they look like. And then you'd have to split them up yourself. So I think it would take a bit of work to do. I'm going to pick some up. I'll do a video and we'll see what kind of pressure it takes to break them apart. And uh, yeah, it looks like they're struck just really deep. The description is a little vague or a little technical, but they do say that it takes force to break them apart. So yeah, we'll give it a shot. I'm going to, I'll pick some up and we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with it, but it's kind of cool. All right. Stranger than fiction. So that's where we cover some of the news stories that, you know, I don't ever want the workshop to become a doom and gloom place. And I don't ever want it to be a place where the focus is always on the news, but no matter how hard I try to not read the news, I always read the news. So I figure if I'm going to be scrolling through Google news once or twice a day, I might as well save a few articles to share with you guys that I think are important. So maybe you won't have to, and I can just share them and be like, here, here's the information, do with it as you want. So we've got um, the first one, honestly, let's see if we can find where I, right here. So this actually happened while I was in uh, Edmonton. So hey, <laughs> Chris Dixon says, this is where I get news. Excellent. That makes me happy. Yeah, so we were in, um, we went to the West Edmonton Mall last week. I believe it was Friday. We were laying in bed Saturday night. And, no, actually, we were getting ready to go out for supper. And we got a news alert that the West Edmonton Mall had been put on lockdown again. Now, we just missed it by one evening. I'm kind of glad we weren't there. But it's starting to get to the point where, you know, we enjoy going there. But, oh, my goodness, this is twice in a couple of months where there's been uh a shooting or a, you know, a brandished firearm for a country that's not supposed to, it's not supposed to be legal for guns to be carried around like this. It happens quite a bit. So the laws are definitely working folks. We, we know that, but anyway, so when I hear a story like this, I always, always guess I, I start off with a bit of skepticism because a lot of times what ends up happening on social media is old stories get reshared again. So I figured, well, the best place to go lately for these kind of like, it used to be uh, Facebook, but they've kind of cut back on the news that's available because of a fight with the government. So I tend to go on Twitter to see what people's reactions were. And I ended up reading a story from a guy who was right there when um, the gangbanger pulled a gun and they ended up uh, holding up in uh, the gap for a little while while the cops arrested them and that sort of thing. But just one of those things that we have noticed over the last while going to Edmonton. And, you know, this is from a decade of traveling there. So it's not like we grew up here, but the last 10 years, things have been getting progressively worse. People were sharing some videos of a lady, you know, coked out or methed out or something that the cops were tasing at the, uh, they have the light rail train. So here's the other thing. You end up getting this um, mass transit. They want to encourage people to use it. The problem is, is that, I don't know how to put this in a nice way, but the vast majority of people who use mass transit tend to be people who are um, maybe in rough shape financially or maybe, anyway. It, and so you end up getting kind of a, a rough clientele. 
And so Barrett and I were sitting at the bar at the hotel here maybe a month or two ago, we were talking to the bartender and she said her son had been robbed on the light rail train. And this is becoming an ongoing thing. And where we would typically shop was a South Edmonton Common, which is a very new developed shopping area. And it is become, we always enjoyed going there because it's, you know, there's not a lot of residential around and it tends to, to be somewhere where there's not a lot of facilities for homeless. So it's just one of those places that's, you know, nice and safe to walk around. Well, over the last few months and the last couple of years, we've been starting to notice a, a significant increase in um, transient and homeless population, including lots of people sleeping behind dumpsters, people panhandling, and the population's just getting out of control. I'm not sure what the solution is and I'm not even going to pretend to know but what I do know is that um you know Mr. Neckknife and a few other things I like to make sure that uh, you just keep your head on a swivel let's put it that way uh when I took mom and dad downtown last summer or summer and a half ago they had never seen anything quite like that and you know I would walk with them just behind me and I, my head was on a swivel and I was kind of up and you just make sure that you give yourself a wide berth whenever you see somebody coming that might be slightly unhinged and Chris Dixon's right and it's a shame and I don't you know there's no nice way people on public transit are rough and whether you know it's because they've been beaten up by life or they've made life choices it's uh, it can be a dangerous thing so anyway shortly after this story the other kind of big mall in the city, Kingsway Mall, somebody was, somebody else pulled up a gun on a guy, carjacked him, drove away, and the cops ran the guy down. So it is becoming incredibly sketchy and nerve-wracking and violent. I, I much, prefer, <laughs> much prefer traveling around Tennessee than I do Edmonton lately, let's put it that way. And Dixon says you want to practice situational awareness, ride public transit. Yep. Or even just walk around a large mall at Christmas time. Uh, you, your head will be on a swivel. All right. Next story this week. So we had uh, we had the lockdown at the West Edmonton Mall. Anybody hear about the <laughs> the nuclear power plant hack? I thought this one was pretty cool. So of course, I know this is going to be um, a hard thing for you guys to understand because I, I couldn't believe it. But um, the UK government is 100% denying this. So <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. But the Guardian re uh, released a report or a, an undercover kind of story this week. And it was that the Sellafield nuclear site was hacked by groups linked to both Russia and China. And again, this was a story that I first saw posted in the Prepper Broadcast Network. And I love the guys over there, but what I will say is that sometimes when stories get shared over there, I, again, take them with a grain of salt. And anytime I hear something that kind of, you know, prickles the hair on the back of my neck, I got to go and do a deep dive. So I start, the very first stories I start finding about this are uh, news agencies saying, nope, there's nothing, nothing to see here. The government says it didn't happen, so we figure it didn't happen. Well, the Guardian has doubled down on this stuff, and they have, they basically did a years-long investigation. It went back to as far as 2015, and there have been breaches and hacks into this particular nuclear power plant, which is sketchy as hell, on and off. They said 
Sources said breaches were first detected back as far as 2015 when experts realized sleeper malware software that can lurk and be used to spy or attack systems had been embedded in the computer networks. And they say they don't even know if they've gotten rid of it and they don't even know if they know how they could know whether they ever got rid of it. And they said sources suggest it's likely foreign hackers who access the highest echelons. Anyway, and there's a follow-up story The Guardian does where independent contractors were allowed to walk into sensitive areas, plug in USB sticks without being asked or without anybody watching them. And apparently, it probably should make people slightly nervous that these nuclear power plants are so easily accessed without there being anyone looking out for them. So just something to think about. It always makes me wonder, you know, the vulnerabilities of the uh, the power grid. And this is definitely one of them. Sue Me says, it's been a long time since I walked in downtown Toronto. 2001 for me was the last time I was in downtown Toronto. And um, yeah, probably the last time that, uh, I don't know, who knows, maybe I'll get there again. But I went there for a a youth retreat when I was um, studying to be a pastor. And I was part of this group called Extreme Discipleship, where we would go around and uh, show God's love in strange ways. And we went down, I believe it was Young Street, which is the busiest street in, or one of the busiest streets in Toronto. And we offered to clean the bathrooms at um, random businesses to show Jesus's love. <laughs> it was an interesting time when you're 19 years old, walking around the streets in Toronto, let's put it that way. So yeah, this one was interesting. Um, again, the government saying, we don't know anything about this and Yep. And so Arizona Renaissance man says all the parts bought are made in China, probably preloaded with malware. That's actually a really good point. And uh, yeah, it says the site has the largest store of plutonium on the planet is a sprawling rubbish dump for nuclear waste from weapons programs and decades of atomic power generation. And on top of that, they said the leadership there is toxic. Uh, people get um, verbally accosted and abused all the time and it's just a miserable place to work overall where nobody really cares about the security so interesting good old british sensibilities hey so from there you guys hear about the volcano that erupted let's see if we can find that one for you i might have lost the nope that's not the right one there we are here it is so uh, again this was an interesting story and this was one of those things so this volcano in Indonesia has been active since January. People had been hiking. They were able to get permits to hike nearby, but they were only allowed to go up so far on this mountain. They weren't allowed to go into the danger zone. The problem is, is that this volcano tends to erupt without there being any tremors ahead of time, without any earthquakes or that sort of thing. So basically, if you're going to go hike, you're taking your own life in uh, at risk. And so this is what happened. There was um, 22 people who ended up dying on the, the mountain, the side, the slopes of this mountain, because it erupted without there any warning. And then, of course, the government or search and rescue had to go in and uh, save the people they could and recover the bodies that they could. But they said the biggest reason, and I thought this was kind of neat, not that I plan on going hiking near a volcano anytime soon, but... They said uh, Marapai was known for having sudden eruptions that are difficult to detect because the source is shallow and near the peak, and its eruptions are not caused by the deep movement of magma, which sets off tremors that register on seismic monitors. Marapai has been active since January, an eruption that caused no casualties. 
It's among more than 120 active volcanoes in Indonesia, which is prone to seismic upheaval due to its location on the Pacific Ring of Fire. So here's my thing. You know, you know the old don't go to stupid places with stupid people. Well, this is kind of, you know, a bit of that. I mean, I'm all for taking risks and enjoying life and living life to its fullest, but I think I'm going to stay away from going hiking near an active volcano. And that's just really where I came out on this one. I thought no slam on the people who were there, but my God, that seems like a, a risk to take to be hiking around an active volcano at that moment. And unfortunately they, uh, yeah, ended up paying the ultimate price. And this was the one, I don't know if you guys follow Dixie Mills or Jessica Mills, actually, I don't know what her new name is. She just got married, but uh, Homemade Wanderlust on YouTube. She's on the uh, Survival Podcast Expert Council. But she posted this story, and uh, she's not one to post things that are, um, you know, not believable or um, fake news, that kind of stuff. But I still dug into it to see, and I was surprised. So there's, again, uh, you guys know we love our dogs, and I'm sure most of you guys do too. But there is a mystery illness going around that they don't really know what it is. And it's in at least all of North America, or, you know, the vast majority, 14 states where a mystery dog illness has been detected. And um, it can be, you know, a slight illness to down to causing death, but it's a respiratory illness. And they basically said, um, if your dog is coughing, they have eye or nasal discharge or sluggish behavior, you should get them treated or take them to the vet immediately. And of course, they mentioned staying on with um, vaccinations and flu shots and that sort of thing. But honestly, it's just a thing that is out there for dogs. So just keep an eye out for your doggies because uh, the last thing we want is a uh, man's best friend, whether they're <laughs> a little guard dog like a Chihuahua or a uh, completely harmless pit bull. You know, you want to look out for them. But this is something to be aware of. I figured I would mention it to everybody. No need to do a deep dive if you guys want to find out more. The news stories are out there. But yeah, so it was um, an interesting week in the news. Those were the things that I kind of found that I thought would be worth sharing with you this week. So let's hop over into this week in the workshop, folks. And I, um, this is, I'm going to kind of sum up some of the upcoming events for the workshop, but also um, some prepping things that I did this week. And one of the coolest I got to do was uh, my daughter, Alice. She is really big into exotic foods and especially Asian foods. And so I had to take Charlotte to the city for her um, orthodontic appointment. And so Alice came up with Becky and all she wanted to do was to go to this place called the TNT supermarket. And it is, it's about the size of a medium sized grocery store, but all they sell is Asian food. And we had a hell of a time in there. Her and I just spent, I bet you a solid hour going up and down the aisles. She found all kinds of stuff she wanted to. But for me, of course, I go into these places and I think, huh, what kind of preps could I load up from here? So I ended up buying 10 kind of protein things that are odd. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And uh, Allie and I are going to do a couple of videos where we try some of these different shelf-stable proteins that we picked up from the Asian grocery store. And we're just going to see, hey, are any of these tasty or any of these viable for long-term calories, protein, and fat? Because fat is the hardest thing to store. Proteins are the second hardest. And all of this is expensive. 
It tends to be. But the prices at this market were really good. Something else they had were those uh, butane, you know, they look like a spray spray paint can, uh, butane canisters. They had them for the best price I'd seen anywhere. So I picked up a four pack, but they have lots of um, dry food stuffs. And yeah, it was a really neat store. So we spent quite a bit of time in there. I actually went back a second time to pick up some more stuff. And so we've got, yeah, we got some interesting things, some spicy things, uh, a lot of fish, of course. Uh, some peanut butters, some beans. Anyway, it'll be cool. So we're going to dig through it. But the reason I share this story is think outside the box for places that you could load your preps up from, or maybe places that, you know, if there was ever a need for it, places that some people might not think about. But this place had a vast assortment of things I hadn't seen. So yeah, think outside. Hey, Valerie, great to have you. She said, if you like coffee, they usually have some good instant coffee with creamer mixed in. I will try that. Something else I picked up that I had never got before was, oh my, it's the it's the coffee substitute that they have down in New Orleans. And I can't, I want to call it hickory, but it's not hickory. Chick, chicory. Yeah, I think that's it. Anyway. It, it was a coffee mixed with it. And uh, so we're going to try that, Alice and I, too, because I've never had that before. And I might have mispronounced that, and I apologize. But yeah, chicory, thank you very much. Yeah, so we picked up a, a canister of that. We're going to try it out. So always fun to try new things. Mexican grocery, yes. And there was a, there's a new European grocery store that just opened up a couple of miles from the new daycare. So I'm going to check that out soon. But yes, I do like Mexican grocery stores. They're they're always um, interesting. <laughs> so next thing I did this week is I got fitted for, fitted? Fit? Anyway, I went to a place called The Running Room in the city and I got fit for walking slash running shoes. They even had, I made sure it was a place that had a treadmill so I could jog on there for a little while to see. Here's what I found out. I've been wearing size 13 or 14 for a lot of years. And it's basically because my my foot is as wide as it is long. Well, maybe not quite that bad, but it's close. <laughs> well, I got properly sized for these. And I, I all I can tell you is they were New Balance shoes. And I can't remember the actual lineup of them, but they're wide. They're like walking. I think uh, Byron said they're like walking on marshmallows. And they are. But they have been a game changer for me. So I went in there and they had a shoe expert and I spent, Becky and I spent about an hour with the guy and he, he got us to you pull your pant legs up, you know, uh, socks on and walk and he would watch your gait and that sort of thing. And then they had this special pad you could stand on that would tell you whether your arches were collapsed a little or anything. Well, I got an incredible pair. So what I ended up getting was a 12 and a half I think it's quadruple wide, four E's or something like that. And these things are great. I've been doing the coach to 5K, which is basically, you know, going from laying on your ass, doing nothing to running a 5K. I'm working toward that. And now I will say the first night I used these shoes, my calves just about killed me. But I knew I was going to have to struggle through the first night or two. But now I've got them broken in, or at least my feet are used to them. It's worth getting fit for a good pair of shoes. And if that's not a piece of prepper advice, I don't know what is, but it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I love those shoes. Yes. So Valerie, no, they're not. So she asked if they're rubbing like the old ones. So these ones are not, I originally tried this special lacing technique that I had been told and that he mentioned, 
but it was really, he pulled out a bunch of different shoes. And the big thing was finding for me a shoe that wouldn't rub on my heel. And these are not, they stay right in place. Just like it basically, I think it's, there's not enough room for them to move around. And it has been, I don't know, a game changer for me. So if you're ever thinking about it, try to find this for me in Canada, it was the running room and they have experts there who can help fit you with shoes and get you uh, running. But these are a nice wide cushiony shoe and they, they are really, really good. I I'm loving them. I went to the, the local arena because everything was covered nice here and they have a running track upstairs and used them up there last night. They were great. So anyway, um, we are putting together this year for Christmas maintenance kits for the kids. Last year we did power outage kits. This year we, we got things like duct tape, my favorite 3M Velcro strips. We got some Gorilla Glue. Uh, oh, um, one or two power strips, some power adapters. Anyway, we, we always buy a bunch of gift cards ahead of time. Uh, we, we kind of pay on them and then we get them at Christmas. And so we went and put together three maintenance kits for the kids this year for Christmas. So just an idea if anybody's ever like, I wonder what I should get for my niece or nephew or my grown ass kids. Power outage kits, maintenance kits. Next year, we're going to do a first aid kit. They're awesome. I love putting them together. Becky loves putting them together. Uh, the freeze dryer. My goodness, guys, have I ever been having some fun with that freeze dryer. Uh, there hasn't been, actually, today's probably the longest it's been empty in a while. I did not have a, uh, well, I ended up, I started the, the uh, defrost and then I ended up being out of the house for most of the day. So as soon as I finish tonight, I'm going to start another load. But I've done, I did two full loads of ground chicken, two loads of ground beef, a load of stewing beef. And that might have been it this week, four or five loads this week. But I've got it down to a system where we take a day and pre-cook a bunch of stuff. And then I freeze it on cookie trays so that it doesn't stick together in a big ball. And then I put them, I transfer them into Ziploc bags. So what ends up happening is I pre-freeze the freeze dryer. And takes 15 minutes to do that. While that happens, I'm loading the trays. And as soon as it says time to load, in they go. And I forget about them. I run them for about 36 hours. So uh, starting to get the hang of it. If anybody wants some tips or tricks, I can probably share a bit. I did Becky's homemade chili last week and turned it to a powder. I'm pretty impressed with that. I haven't reconstituted it yet. But how light and airy it turned out was, it, it's the weirdest thing. Anyway. And uh, thanks, Off Grid Ping says, what great gifts. We've, our kids are adults, so um, we ended up wanting to get them practical things. So Valerie says, are you defrosting between each cycle? Yes. I read online that you didn't have to. So the first couple of loads I did, I didn't defrost. And what I ended up finding was that the freeze drying, and maybe this is just me, the freeze drying seemed to take longer and wasn't as effective when I didn't defrost between loads. So I wasn't sure. And she says, you don't have to, well, I'm going to, maybe I'll go back to trying them again because I have been defrosting. I don't know, maybe every, maybe I could try every two loads again, but the ice gets pretty thick on the edges. So I'm, I'll, uh, we'll see. I, but I, I, man, I have, I love learning this new stuff for sure. What do we got coming up in the workshop? We have the workshop talk radio 
for the new year again. This was something we did last year. Uh, we only called it Workshop Radio, but then I liked the name so much I stole it for the podcast. So any uh, content creators out there who are interested in sending in, in um, content for this, let me know. So what we did last year, and I think we're probably going to do the same thing this year, we did, I ended up putting together two 12-hour cycles. So we did a New Year's Eve and a New Year's Day. And so I think we ran it, I don't exactly remember, maybe eight in the morning to eight at night or something like that. And then I looped it the next time. And basically what it is, I want it to be the soundtrack to ring in the new year, you know, kind of get shit done while you're listening to things. So it'll be the background of the new year. And I may get on and do some live chatting or, or talking, or we may just do it all through the live chat. But basically what it's going to be, it'll be a 48 hour live stream on my channel with, uh, and share it amongst other people's channels as well, where we share content from all the delinquents from within the workshop and without, and it'll just be, it's kind of a cool social event. We left it on the big screen in their living room the whole day. And I would pop into the live chat when I could, we'd be busy doing things when we were, and we just pop back in and out. And it was a lot of fun. It's a, it's kind of a cool event that people seem to look forward to. I was asked about it. Yeah, sure. We're doing it again. Next. King of the Hill Christmas special, folks. <laughs> if you're like, what the hell is that? That's okay. This will be the second annual. Last year, I did it myself. This year, fellow delinquents are doing all the voices. And it is uh, the Y2K episode of King of the Hill. It's become our tradition here now. And it is a hilarious episode. And what we do is uh, everybody does the voices. And it will be, uh, I'll release it on Christmas Eve. It's our Christmas Eve special at the workshop. You know, Nicole does um, Twas the Night Before Christmas from all around the world. And for me, this perfectly encapsulated what the workshop stands for. You know, it's humor, it's uh, handyman stuff, it's preparedness, and uh, King of the Hill. So I love it. Next Friday night, we're doing the second annual Christmas workshop watch party. I know, I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you, but this is this week in the workshop. <laughs> and uh, so I believe 6 o'clock next week, we are uh, 6 o'clock Mountain Time. We're going to watch, once again... The best Christmas movie ever, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. If you want the invite link, you got to get it from Telegram because it's not going to be on YouTube. We're going to be streaming it on Rumble, and you can join the live stream or you can watch the live stream either way. But I believe I have all of the uh, kinks worked out of it because last year the sound wasn't great, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> uh, today, the latest episode of Delinquent's Gully Chronicles came out. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, do me a favor share it when, once you've watched it. I want this to become something that will kind of allow people to share a little bit, uh, kind of a taste of what delinquent life is and what the workshop's all about. So anyway, if you haven't, check it out. I love putting those episodes together for you. And this week I put out a video called the top five prepping gear from 2023. It's where I went back and looked at all the stuff I've reviewed this year. And I picked my top five prepping items that I th basically every one of them or most of them become EDC items for me or stuff I use every day. So check that video out. All right. Everybody holding on there and doing well this evening. We've uh, covered quite a bit so far, but I, I got a lot for you. So let's keep diving in. So this week, I this was another segment that I started a while ago, and I thought we'd bring it into this one as well. And I think Brian Alexovich came up with the name, but it's pretty simple. But <laughs> It's I read it on the internet, and basically what I do is we go into Reddit. 
I, I actually really enjoy Reddit when I get on there. I don't really have much time to do it. But if you don't know, Reddit's kind of like an old-fashioned message board, but a bit different. And so the subreddits are individual groups that are formed around like-minded interests and that sort of thing. So one of my favorite is our prepping. And so let's bring this guy up so you can see it. So this one here. So what I'm going to do is uh, each week we do this episode, I'm going to go back through the top posts of the week. And I'm going to pick the one that I thought is the most helpful for folks who haven't done this before. And this was a cool one. And I'm going to try to give um, credit to the original author. And this one is uh, <laughs> Noodle. N-U-D-L-E is the person. Who, but anyway, they said, hey, I'm looking, I got little to no experience in this. So I'm asking for advice on a nice security camera system. I can slowly add cameras to. I have a basic little solar powered camera, but it just isn't hitting the spot. I live in an area with extreme winters. So the cameras will need to hold up in any time of weather. Any advice is much appreciated. Thank you. So I like this one. And the reason I like Reddit for this kind of stuff is they're really particular in this subreddit. And if people post worthless junk, they're going to delete it or they're going to kick them out. So, it, you know, it's a very anarcho mindset, but you get answers like this. And this is why I like it. Uh, this one is from a chitty chitty bang bang or something like that, or chia bada bing it says there's three camps in camera land with some overlap. There's all, all inclusive consumer systems like Arlo, Blink and Ring. The advantage is they're inexpensive, wireless, and cloud-based, which is why they're so popular. Then there's the DIY IP camera consumer systems. This is similar to like what I have here at the house. There are Foscam that comes to mind where the setup is more difficult. They have cloud capabilities, but you can also just use them internally, and they have a wireless option as well. And then there's CCTV systems. They're usually commercial-grade wired with a control system like you'd use at Minimart or something. And it really comes down to use case, this uh, person says. Most people like the idea of no cloud-wired cameras, uh, power over Ethernet security style, saving my own videos, that sort of thing. But it's significantly more expensive up front. And you need to have the storage to save the video and maintain it, the utility of which is questionable at best. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I, I do love having my hardwired camera system. I love having the PVR right above me that saves it if I ever need it but only once have I really needed it and I didn't actually need it, but it, it is helpful to have. And I like to have it for just in case, but they said most people, especially new to the game should just start small. I would personally suggest something like an outdoor wireless Foscam camera. You can use it independently. You can add more later and use them just from your app, or you can set up your own home server to capture images and video. And that's a, very similar to the uh, Beano cams that I'm using right now, those uh, solar-powered Wi-Fi cameras, and I love them. Now, I do need to say, though, that uh, we've bought three, and one of them had a problem with it. So just keep that in mind. The port where the solar panel goes in was broken or loose, and it stopped getting a charge, so I had to replace that. But as far as the way it works the setup, the ease of use, and the fact that I can store everything locally on an SD card, I could not, I love it. It's the perfect camera for us right now. And this person says, but I'm also a big fan of the ring systems and have a series of those cameras. A few that are on a paid cloud service and the rest that aren't and are just for reference or alerts. 
This is an, also an option with the other consumer plug and play cameras and allows you to go one at a time and see what you like without forking out a monthly cloud service that you don't really need. Exactly. And I would say try a few that you like and if you don't like and fine tune it as you go. You can even start cheaper by getting some stuff on eBay first as you find out where you want to mount the cameras, how you want to power them, how you want to collect the data, etc. And then resell the equipment you don't end up using. I couldn't have said it any better. I thought that was one of the most informative posts I'd read in a long time on the basics of security cameras. But yeah, I actually started the very first camera we had was a Wi-Fi camera that needed to be plugged into the wall. And it was a pan tilt zoom that we picked up off of Wish. And I don't know, I might have paid 15 bucks for it, which seemed like a lot at the time. But it worked well until I moved over to this hard hardwired system. So you know, if you're looking for a good security camera, there's lots of options. Amazon's great, but I love this. Test it out, start small, pick up one piece, and then build on top of it. And that's kind of where I like these new Wi-Fi cameras. You buy one, you install it. You install the app, you're good. You buy a second one, you've already got the app installed. You don't need to go install a new app. So you can control multiple cameras from the one app. And, uh, I'm very, very impressed with the battery life of those solar cameras. I had no idea they were going to be that good. Next, guys, I got a creator spotlight for you or a, a channel spotlight. I did this last time I did this episode and it was well received. But for today, this I'm just going to highlight some of the YouTube channels that I watch or consume content from on a semi-regular basis. And this one is the Ayn Rand Institute. And... You might wonder why I'm mentioning it tonight, but it's because last night we had our very first episode of the um, Atlas Shrugged Post-Apocalyptic Book Club, and it was a very well-received episode. I loved it. But this, I had mentioned on that show that if you wanted to see um, in-person interviews with Ayn Rand, that they were on YouTube. And this stuff is awesome. I love it. Uh, they, they have things like they just posted today. Should there be open immigration? Ayn Rand answers. Should we compromise for success? Ayn Rand answers. And there are some of the best I'd ever seen. This interview she did right here, it's 26 minutes and 39 seconds long with Mike Wallace, was one of the best interviews. It's the first interview I ever saw with her. And I already appreciated her, but had never seen her, you know, in a live interview. And it, it's awesome. So if you're looking for, you know, an understanding of objectivism. This is the place to start. They have a lot, uh, you know, they, they even break down things where Jordan Peterson apparently attacked the um, philosophy of Ayn Rand and they, yeah, they just worked their way through. I don't necessarily agree with everything they have in here. They're definitely not, you know, an anarcho mindset. They would be more libertarian, but They've taken a weird stand on the uh, Israeli-Palestine conflict. So anyway, we'll leave it at that. But it's an awesome channel. It's called the Ayn Rand Institute. And they've got 126,000 subscribers and uh, 1,700 videos. So if you're looking for, you know, somewhere to dip your toes into a little deeper amount of what her philosophy was, it's all there. So check that out. So I was, uh, I've been listening to, we'll talk about this a little more in a few minutes, but I've been listening to the Mad Mix series. Uh, it's written by Franklin Horton, the author who was on the show the other day. And in there, somebody, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but 
the the idea was a post-apocalyptic cookbook. And see, I, I put it in my phone so I wouldn't forget. Let's see if we can find it here for you guys. But it was, uh, I thought it would be kind of fun to take some time and cookbook of the collapse is what he called it. I love the name cookbook of the collapse. And so it made me think, you know, maybe at some point we should all put together a list of all our favorite article, uh, favorite recipes, and we could call it the cookbook of the collapse. Or so I thought, well, why not start and I'll do a, a weekly recipe called uh, cookbook for the collapse. And eventually when we get enough good recipes, we can put it all together. And uh, so I'll share one with you, but I want to share this right now uh, for Val. She said, anyone looking for buckets? I spoke to the bakery manager at a local store and she said holidays, they will have more buckets than usual. If you need buckets for preps, it's a good place to find them. Great advice, Val. I never think to mention buckets at holidays, but of course they're making tons of desserts. And a in my experience, a lot of these buckets tend to be icing buckets. So yeah, go in and pick them up. That's great advice. And Sue says, uh, I've done that at well as well at bulk food stores. Yep. Restaurants as well. You can get pickle buckets if you're okay with the smell. The ones I used to get at Dairy Queen when I worked there were deep fryer oil buckets. So they cleaned out pretty good with some hot water and some soap, but always a good idea. So tonight's uh, cookbook from the collapse. Um, addition is going to be, well, I thought the best one would be my grandmother's bread recipe. Now her name was Glenna Cook. She died in 1990. I was just nine years old. And to be honest, I don't remember her a lot, but what I do remember about Glenna and, uh, I love that, um, her daughters, my aunts, they will host every year on her birthday and it's kind of nice. But what I do remember was her incredible homemade bread incredible homemade donuts and she made doughboys in stew she would always make a stew now they're called dumplings but she called them doughboys just big globs of dough that she would dip into the stew let them cook there so good. but the problem was is when she passed away in 1990 i was nine i had no interest in collecting recipes from the family at that time and so oh man 2003 2004, I um, started getting into cooking and doing my stuff. Have a great night, uh, Chris Dixon. Always love having you in here, man. And uh, I started collecting recipes from the family. So I got my grandmother's seafood chowder. She just passed away this year at 100. But the one I'd been on the hunt for for almost 10 years was my grandmother Glenna's homemade bread recipe. And eventually I went through the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and my aunt, Carolyn, who actually passed away about five years ago, said, I think my daughter has the recipe. Sure enough, she had it written down. She emailed it to me in my old Hotmail account. Uh, I wrote it down. I saved it. And I have, I have probably baked that bread a thousand times over the last 10 plus years. And it's great. So I included that recipe in today's show notes. I won't go deep into it, but I just wanted to share the story because, you know, as preppers and homesteaders, we love to bring back around the old skills, you know, and my grandmother that passed away recently, Marguerite, she helped me learn how to can and she taught me a lot of her recipes. But if I hadn't taken the time almost 20 years ago now to say, hey, Nan, do you want to come down and help me can? 
or, hey, Nan, can I buy the stuff and I'll come over to your place and we'll make seafood chowder together before her mind went or her hands went and we couldn't do it anymore? Because as important as those skills are, specifically to you and your family, those recipes are that important. And a lot of times people pass away and we don't think to save those things. And those are the memories, you know? So anyway, I included that recipe in the show notes tonight. And it um, it makes two loaves or two dozen bread. Uh, sorry, two dozen rolls or two loaves of bread. And it it's so good. It the, It uses margarine. You can use butter if you want. But for me, I found the biggest thing was just to knead the hell out of the bread. Teach yourself. If you've never learned how to knead bread properly, take the time and learn how to do it. But when it's done, you don't want it to be sticky, but you don't want it to be dry. You want it to be somewhere in between. And what you want to do is kind of push into the bread, fold it over, rotate, Anyway, maybe I'll do a video on that someday, but look, learn how to knead bread properly and you will not be disappointed. So anyway, that's uh, that's the recipe for tonight's cookbook of the collapse. And I thought that would be a lot of fun. Uh, let's take a dip into the wasteland, folks. And that is going to be, I, um, I had plans a year or two ago to start another podcast or another YouTube channel. And I actually started uh, the workshop wasteland telegram group. And it was where we were going to discuss popular culture and, you know, TV shows, movies, video games that are in the post-apocalyptic genre. But I just don't, I, sorry, it's not that I don't have the time. I wasn't willing to commit the time to create it. But I'm going to keep the, the Wasteland moniker going. And uh, we're going to have a little blurb every week in the show on, um, you know, post-apocalyptic books and movies and that sort of thing. And Val, thank you. She Val says, thank you for sharing that fam special family treasure. Hey, I love it because get it out to the world and hopefully somebody else will use it and love it too. So we got uh, three things this week in uh, the wasteland. The first one, I don't know if anybody is a video game player out there. Uh, I will about every 10 years get the bug and play for two months and then I'll stop. But my son is an avid video gamer and he has played the Fallout video game series since he was a preteen probably whenever the first one came out. And Amazon is releasing a Fallout TV show, and it's coming out in January, February. And it, for those who don't know, the Fallout series takes place, I don't know, in the far distant future after the world was basically annihilated by nuclear bombs or nuclear weapons and that sort of thing. And I think it must have happened in the 50s because the music is all kind of um, free, uh, you know, royalty-free stuff from the 1950s. And, oh, thank you, Darkwing. David's coming out in April. I knew it was in 2024. And Byron says he plays a little in the winter. I would love to make a little bit of time to play once in a while. I'd love to stream a bit. Uh, I had gotten into this game called Mr. Prepper, I think it was, last winter. And I kind of liked it. But at some point, I'm going to be playing The Last of Us 2. I've never played that yet. And when I do, maybe I'll stream that a bit. Oh, Fallout 76. Very cool, Dave. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll have to check out your stream on that because I've, yeah, I enjoy it. And yes, it has a 50s vibe. My son loves it. He's excited. So just before I went live, I watched the trailer and I was actually really blown away. It looks like it's going to be a hard, or bloody kind of show. It's put together by the producers and creators of The Boys. If you haven't watched The Boys, do yourself a favor. It's not for the weak of heart, but it's a great show but it's going to be 
uh, similar to that. I, I couldn't believe the blood that was just in the trailer. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, check it out. Uh, I'm going to watch the show, I'm sure. If you if you already subscribed to Amazon, give it a go. But in April, it's coming out. Uh, I mentioned that I had been reading a bunch of Franklin Horton stuff. So I went back and reread the first three chapters of Ayn Rand this week to prep for our book club discussion, which was great. But I just can't get enough of Franklin's writing lately. I just love his writing style. And I I said, I started with the Board World Series, and I stayed away from that for two or three years because the name, the Borrowed World, for whatever reason, I pictured some of this young adult fiction stuff like the Hunger Games or the Maze Runner. I didn't know it wasn't that at all. It was, man, I got to say it. I like his stuff more than I like Angry American stuff. And I love the Going Home series, but Board World series was awesome. The Locker 9 series was even better or as good. I, I think the Board World got even better as it went on, but I've been listening to the Mad Mix series right now that he put together. I think I'm on book five and it's actually turned into almost like a Tom Clancy novel. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it, but his writing style is so good. And he spends a shit ton of time in the antagonist's brain. He, he talks about the motivations of the bad guy, what gets them out of bed, why they're doing what they're doing. He never says it's right, but he spends a ton of time making the bad guy a human. And I appreciate it. Something that's underdone in the post-apocalyptic genre. So if you're looking, if you haven't touched into Franklin Horton stuff, he doesn't pay me. <laughs> I don't get it an affiliate from him, but I have, I just can't get enough. Every time I drive, when I'm working in the workshop, assembling furniture at the daycare, I've been just barreling through his stuff. So I've got five more of the Mad Mix series left. And the last book teased the Way of Dan series he has. And now I want to get into that. So anyway, if you're looking for something new to listen to, give his stuff a go. And then finally, I don't know if Becky and I are going to have time tonight to watch it or not. But a new one just came out on Netflix called Leave the World Behind. And it's got a star-studded cast. I can't remember all the names in it, but I think it's Julia Roberts and Kevin Bacon and Marashia Ali. I can never pronounce his name, but it's a really... Um, anyway, I don't know about the show. I don't know about the movie, sorry. But I did read the book earlier this summer. And it is... I don't know how to explain it per se, but I'm going to try. It's a very modern... The book was only written in the last couple of years. It is, you know, it's a bit on the woke side. It's written from the perspective of a, a modern woman who lives in New York City. So a modern professional woman uh, who definitely has liberal sensibilities. But it's a really cool story where her and her family go to an Airbnb in the middle of the woods and then the world ends <laughs> or something like that. I don't really know. I'm not spoiling anything because all of that's on the, you know, the dust jacket of the book. But if you're looking, I enjoyed the book quite a bit. It's, uh, yeah, I can't wait to watch the, the movie and critique it based on, you know, my thoughts compared to the book. So we'll see. I, and I, I just happened to grab that book. Occasionally, I will find articles on uh, Google News that are like, uh, you know, the, the top five 
post-apocalyptic books written in the last five years or something. And so I shared that list in the Telegram group for the book club. And the only book I hadn't read or was in, wasn't interested in on there was this Leave the World Behind. And I listened to it last summer and I enjoyed it. It wasn't, you know, it wouldn't be top 10 or anything, but it was fun to read something written from a modern perspective. And it's very, very M. Night Shyamalan. So if you like M. Night Shyamalan, you'll enjoy, I think you'll enjoy the movie. So, and finally, uh, this one will be community feedback. I don't have a, a witty post-apocalyptic moniker for it yet. But last week, I believe it was last week, I did a live stream with Nicole and John. And one of the questions I got was, Tim, what would you put together for an off-grid or a post-apocalyptic toolbox? And at the time, I kind of brushed the question off and I just said, hey, um, just have solar, charge your batteries, and you don't need to worry about it. And, you know, uh, was I being smart? I didn't mean to be, but it was what it was. But that question has kicked around in my head for the last week and a half or whatever it's been since I did the episode. And I thought, hey, I would just do a quick little thought experiment on it. But... Um, I don't think, okay, here, here's, here's where it comes down for a post-apocalyptic toolbox. So if this was something, you know, we're not talking about, you know, a month long bug in nasty weather system where you're going to, you know, need to maybe repair your plumbing, repair your heating, that kind of stuff. We're talking about a grid down long-term scenario where you need a few tools to build day-to-day kind of stuff. And uh, I tried to keep this as simple as I could and the least work possible, which can be tough for when you're doing everything by hand. But the first thing I said was a a good multi-bit screwdriver. And this is not going to be for assembling things. This is going to be for taking apart things. So if you want to reuse lumber, you want to disassemble furniture, you're going to need a multi-bit screwdriver. Simple as that. I mean, I prefer an impact driver, a powered tool, of course, but in this thought experiment, you're going to need a good multi-bit screwdriver, something that's going to last a long time. There are some out there that have a, a ratcheting mechanism or a gear ratio in them so that when you turn them, they'll actually turn with twice the power. I really like that. And it doesn't take any, or sorry, twice the speed and it doesn't take any extra work for you. But I love my Milwaukee multi-bit screwdriver seven in one it I've been using it for years and it looks as good as the day it was bought so that would be the first one next you got to get a buy it for life hammer some people will say get a wood handled one so you can cut your own handle I say bring that get yourself a really good heavy duty metal hammer and you'll never look back I've got an east wing one which you guys have always heard about I love that thing it has done more work for me over the last 17, 16, 17 years, Becky and I spent maybe, I think it was about $35, which was an asinine amount of money uh, to come out of our budget when she bought it. But I wanted to build a chicken coop and I bought it and I've had, it's got little specks of paint on there from years ago, just all over it. it. Yeah. The thing has held up beautifully. So buy yourself a solid one piece steel hammer that's going to last you a lifetime and you'd never have to worry about it again. A good socket set, just a good, you know, I've had a Stanley set for geez, 13, 14 years now. The case itself is starting to break on the hinges, but I made a promise to Becky that I would never lose a piece from it. And I haven't yet. (laughs) 
because she was tired of me mistreating my tools. But yeah, a good, a good socket set, again, is something you're going to need. Now, here's when I made my list. I thought about what do I use power tools on and what would be the substitutes. And really, for 98% of what I do, an impact driver and a circular saw is all I need. That's almost all I use when I'm building things. So if you want to cut lumber, there's no getting around. You're going to need to, you know, invest some sweat equity. So get yourself a couple of, you want to get a cross cut and a rip saw. And I did some research today because I haven't owned one of them in years, but apparently a company called Spear and Jackson makes some really beautiful ones that you can sharpen by hand. So yeah, get yourself a couple of those, learn how to sharpen. And that would be definitely something that is an area I'm lacking for sure. But here's the thing I got thinking about it. Okay. When I assemble things, yeah, Byron says, yes, practice using them. Don't just buy them, practice the skills, practice using the tools, because if you don't, you might as well not have them. Now, when it comes down to it, the other thing I was thinking about was my impact driver, because I assemble almost everything using screws. And I thought, how am I going to do that? And really, the only option was a screwdriver, you know, a handheld screwdriver. And they're great, you know, but get yourself a good multi-bit. But if I'm going to be assembling things by hand in a grid down scenario, I'm using a hammer and nails because I love a hammer and nails and they work great. They're, of course, they're a little more work than an impact driver, but how simple of a solution is that? And it doesn't take a lot of extra energy. So just stock up on nails, get yourself a good ass hammer, and then you don't need to worry about an impact driver per se. <laughs> um, in Canada and Byron or somebody else could maybe chime in here, but we have a store called Lee Valley and they sell really high end hand woodworking tools. So they would be a place to go or the American equivalent to find, you know, things like a good bit and brace. And if you don't know what a bit and brace is, it's like those old fashioned corkscrew um, hand drills. They work good. They're not great, but if that's all you have and you need to drill holes, I mean, they built entire boats with those back in the day. So get yourself one of those. And like I said, for fasteners, my ass is going to focus on nails. I'm going to ignore screws and drivers altogether. Lehman's, that's it. Thank you, Byron. Lehman's. And Byron says, I cut four two by twos with a handsaw building a storage rack. It works. Yeah. And I might try that sometime, do everything by hand just for the hell of it. I might not either, but <laughs> it would be fun to, to practice and, and learn a little bit. So, like I said, the impact driver, I feel you could replace it with a hammer and nails. And the circular saw, you're going to need a cross cut and a ripping saw. And if you get both those, you keep them sharp, you learn how to sharpen them. They should last you a long time and don't hit any nails. <laughs> but here's my other thing. When it comes down to that, I get the idea, the concept of wanting to have a grid down tools tool thing. Well, let's play let's play the game of figuring out why that might be the case. And my guess is that people want those kind of tools because the grid's down. And I'm going to guess it's probably because of an EMP or something like that. Well, if that's the case, here's what I would suggest. I always have way more. I think I just threw out or give away a bunch of DeWalt chargers. I always have a metric shit ton of extra chargers around. So I would take a charger, two batteries, a small solar panel, and 
the next time you upgrade your tools, I would take your old circular saw and your, or go buy the cheapest impact driver you can get, throw them in a little Faraday box. If that's what you're worried about and be set up for it because I have been charging all of my tools for the last two plus years on solar, every bit of it. And I have 200 watts worth of solar and I have four deep cycle batteries. So a single panel and a single battery or a single panel without a battery would be more than sufficient to give you a decent charge into a, you know, a two amp hour battery for a driver and a five amp hour battery for a six and a half inch circular saw. Because you'll realize that they'll go a long way on a bit of solar power if that were the case. And, and here's and that's where it comes down to is, yeah, I, I like hand tools. I ain't getting any younger. And why would anybody want to work harder than you have to? So for me, yes, it's a great thought experiment, but I'm always thinking outside the box. How can I solve this scenario without needing to work? Harder? And for me, it's spend a little extra money or yes, Arizona Renaissance man says car size batteries. You could use a car size battery. Mine are deep cycle RV batteries. I picked up four of them. It's probably time for me to do a video on that again. It's been two or three years since I did my last video on that setup and it's been serving me really well. But I just have a little insulated box with four deep cycle batteries. You could use a car size battery on it. And here's the thing. You could use no battery at all. If you just had a solar charge controller and a, um, you know, an inverter, you could just take that DC power, turn it to AC power and charge your batteries. Or um, you could you could get even simpler if you had one of those DeWalt USB adapters that slide on and allow it to, to both charge or discharge a battery. My US, my solar charge controller has a USB port built right into it. You could actually plug into that, put it in the sun, and charge the battery using just the solar panel and the charge controller without needing anything else. So that's a thought as well. So yeah, it's it's kind of a fun, like I said, it's an interesting thought experiment to think about. I don't know about you guys, but I love putting these shows together. I can I could go an hour, an hour and a half on, you know what's happening in the world of preparedness and prepping each week without even batting an eyelash. So if you guys like these shows, you know, throw it at me, let me know. You can give me thumbs up in the comments or you just, just message me on telegram because I really, really, I love doing these and I, I could see this becoming a weekly thing because what I see it as is the culmination of workshop radio over the last couple of years. You know, I'm always dipping my toes into these different segments and I love talk radio. I've, I've mentioned this many times and I love the idea of, you know, kind of a variety show based on the talk radio concept. And so with me, what I like about this is it kind of gives me a structure for show prep. And if you're, if there's other segments or other topics you'd like me to talk about in the weekly episode of yes i would love to do that byron roberts says how about a show and tell about hand tools absolutely i would do that and sue me says i'd be interested in a video like that not sure how to set up the batteries with the cold and damp we get absolutely i'll yeah i there's so much that i want to dip into and cover here's the thing i would 
Yeah, thank you, Digger. I appreciate it. I said, love the variety. Keep on going. Byron says, could be good for new pre new, new peppers. Preppers. <laughs> but it is, yes. And I would like to set up. So a company just sent me a Wi-Fi extension device. It's kind of cool. It's um, It almost looks like a 32-ounce cup from McDonald's or something. And it's basically a, um, a unidirectional antenna that will shoot the Wi-Fi from the house to the garage. And that's what I need is because I have zero Wi-Fi in the garage. I can get zero LTE, nothing. So if I want to live stream from the workshop, it's a headache. So I'm going to start testing that out. Maybe I'll try my, we did sign up for uh, Starlink as well. And uh, so I would like to do some more live stream hands-on stuff from the shop once in a while. Things like, hey, let's check out the solar system and things because what I like about the solar live, what I like about live streams is there's setup involved, but when the show's done, it's done. So it's an hour, the work's done. When it's a five minute video, it takes me way longer to put together a five minute video, editing, recording, the whole works. Not complaining at all, just I love the live format and I appreciate that you guys love it too. We could do some live unboxing videos out in the workshop as well, showing some of the tools that companies send me, that kind of stuff. I like doing that. But yeah, we'll keep working on it. And so if you have segments that you'd love to see, like, you know, um, Rachel Brown says, hey, look, you're live. At least she didn't say, hey, look, you're alive. That would have been sad. But we could do a, a bourbon test, uh, testing too, tasting, Byron. <laughs> didn't get into the bourbon tonight. So anyway, I appreciate you folks. I love doing these. I just got to figure out where I'm going to fit it into the weekly schedule and we'll keep going because I think this would be an asset. This, the, another reason I did it other than I, the fact I knew you guys would love it is um, YouTube really liked this episode for some reason. It pushed it out to a lot of people and I hope that this content can be what brings a whole exact. Yeah. A whole bunch of new peppers. Sorry. I mean, preppers <laughs> into the fold and they realize guys, it doesn't have to be scary. It can be a life lived on purpose. It can be a life lived with purpose. And it can be the best damn life you ever live. And the biggest thing is I want to talk people down off the ledge. And if this kind of stuff helps bring people in away from the absolute fear mongering that's out there and allows us to talk about solutions, you know, yeah, I'm going to talk about the news a little bit. It ain't going to be the focus of the show. I love talking about a few of the stories, but it's not about being scared shitless. It's all about setting up solutions. So anyway, folks, I appreciate you. Thanks for being the best damn group of delinquents you ever can be. I uh, hope you enjoy this episode, folks. Sunday evening, I've got Andy Higginbotham coming on. I don't know exactly the topic. It's going to be tech related, but we will uh, hash that out as the week goes on or the weekend goes on. Tomorrow, I'm going to finish cleaning out my storage container I'm gonna, I've got so much stuff in there. It's going to be great. And I'm building a rack. Anyway, I'll, I'll show you some of the upgrades I've been doing in the workshop. It's been needed to be done, but I've uh, new shelving, new workbenches, a new fuel storage center. It, yeah, it's great. I love it. I'm such an old man, but I love doing that stuff. So anyway, folks, I appreciate you. And as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.